That is Herb Alpert and the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his weekly appearance. During the playoffs, it was a bi-weekly appearance, but now we're back to a weekly appearance is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. Precisely zero baseball games, uh, or I should say zero baseball games at the major league level, have been played since Cameron's most recent appearance on Fangraphs Audio. You can safe to say, though, that Dave Cameron does not view that as a stumbling block with regard to analyzing all of it, it being baseball. If you think you'll get through this edition of the podcast without hearing the name David DeJesus or Derek Jeter, you are mistaken. Additionally, uh, if you want to hear Dave Cameron's thoughts on when precisely is New Year's Day uh, for baseball, which is to say when did the 2014 baseball season as a, ho- as a whole, uh, when did it officially start, uh, you can hear that too. You can hear it very quickly, in fact, uh, because what I'm about to do is introduce uh, my conversation with Dave Cameron on Fangraphs Audio, which begins right now. Five minutes before. Well, I just assumed that you know we we were on a schedule unless we hear otherwise, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that's how you felt about it, but now I do. Yeah, we do a weekly podcast. It's a it's a new thing we've been doing for like three years. Yeah, right. But it's a different time. People should know that uh, this is now 11 a.m. your time. Yes, we're yeah. recording it earlier so that you know we don't know your wife. I think. Uh, apparently, you're as churlish at 11 a.m. as you are. Maybe, maybe even more. Yeah, I think. maybe yeah. a little bit more churlish. Uh, well, good, good, good. Um, you're gonna be of some help to me today. Uh, and uh, uh, there's been no baseball, in fact, since the last time we spoke. Correct. Uh, so the actual game on the field is not what's generating the substance of our content today. Right. So you're very excited to bring up some obscure prospect in the Venezuelan winter league. I'm no, sure. I'm not. Although I will say, Paolo Espino. I mean. Yeah. I mean, am I right? I mean, Paolo is my favorite. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, he's on the he's on the radar right now. Paolo Espino. He finished uh, the season his last five starts at AAA Columbus. He had a 38 to three strikeout to walk ratio in uh, 29 innings. That's that's pretty good. That that doesn't suck, yeah. Yeah, 38 to three, yeah, and uh, right. I don't necessarily. I think the stuff isn't necessarily great. So uh, so uh, you know, the. Um, Expectations are muted, I guess. Optim- right. Optimism is muted. Although, you know who has had a very good um, winter league so far is Jock Peterson, and he actually seems like he might be a real baseball player someday. Yes, although uh, interesting to note, uh, the tw- you know 2014 Steamer projections beta version are up on Fangraphs right now. Uh, the playing time projections aren't so great at the moment, but the rate stats are up there. Steamer hates Jock Peterson. Like, after a pretty good year in AA and, you know, it's like some success in the minor leagues, I thought, you know, generally this kind of player is projected to be a, you know, at least a useful major league player. I think he has him projected for a WRC plus of like 82 or something. Uh, no, not very good for a corner outfielder. Hmm, yeah. Although it's possible that they've been recalibrated uh, since you last look, or maybe it's taking the winter league into account. I don't know because it's it's at 95. He has a 95 WRC plus right now. Yeah. Well, there you go. see, this is why they're beta versions. They, I think I looked back <laughs> three days ago, so apparently it's been updated since. Well, even maybe even still been... at 95, not so great for a corner outfielder. No, certainly, yeah, not not at the moment. Although um, he might sort of fall under that category. It's actually funny. The other tab I have open right now, besides Jock Peterson, is uh, David DeJesus. And uh, it's possible, um, perhaps uh, Peterson 
Well, we don't know. I mean, he, he seems as possible he has a little bit more in the way of power. But he's an athlete um, um, who, who plays corner outfielder but maybe doesn't have the offense typical to that position uh, but is maybe uh, above average defensively there as well. Yeah, I think, you know, it seemed like when the Rays acquired uh, DeJesus back in uh, August, I guess, after the Nationals claimed him on waivers and then got rid of him three days later, uh, that it was just going to be a short-term rental. Uh, DeJesus is kind of the, the kind of player who seems to still be undervalued in the sense that he doesn't have the traditional skill set of any one position. He doesn't have the range for center full-time, and he doesn't have the power for a corner guy. Uh, and, you know, I think the Rays generally not expected to be paying, you know, decent prices for solid role players like DeJesus, but they picked up a $6.5 million option in order to work out a two-year contract with him because I think they realize that this player is uh, still the kind of player that's generally undervalued, and if they had let him get to free agency, he would have cost even more than their option. Right, so so uh, do we know the terms? Uh, as I'm talking to you, I, I, the, the deal has just been announced, so I should make it clear. Part of it was a segue. We're talking about David DeJesus now, who has signed a two-year deal, um, I guess the the, the Rays sort of did it in quick uh, quick succession, right? They they agreed uh, they exercised his I think it was a 6.5 million dollar option um, for 2014, and now the, uh, they've agreed to a two year deal. Do we know the terms yet? Uh, we don't know the terms. I think all they've announced it is a it's a two year deal. I think we can guess that it's probably for. Uh, something around the option value. I mean, there's no reason that DeJesus would agree to like a two-year, $8 million contract if he was already guaranteed six and a half for 2014. Uh, so I think, you know, we have to assume it's probably at least 10, maybe 11 million. Probably not six and a half for both years. I think if it was going to be close to the option price, the Rays would have just gone one year at a time. So my guess is they probably got a little bit of a break on 2014 salary, moved some to 2015. Um, or maybe vice versa. You never know with the Rays. Uh, but I'm guessing it'll be around 210, 211, something like that. Right. And so what does this do? The the Rays, of course, have – well, they have Desmond Jennings. Yep. Uh, they have Will Myers. Yeah. And uh, they also have David DeJesus now. And then uh, and, uh, I assume Matt Joyce is still there somewhere. Yeah, I think – so basically uh, the Rays have essentially re-signed DeJesus to fill their DH position. Now, DeJesus isn't going to DH. Most likely that will be a Joyce uh, or a rotating cast of characters. But basically what they've said now is they're going to run a left-right platoon at designated hitter, uh, whether it's DeJesus, Joyce, whoever. Uh, one of those two will likely be DHing. Uh, they'll find a right-handed part-time outfielder who can split the DH outfield jobs, and those will be their five outfielders. So they're going to basically make their DH – uh, also their reserve outfield spot, and they're just going to rotate, uh, or, you know, they might make choice the full-time DH, depending on how they feel about his defense, but uh, most likely they'll rotate through and use the DH as a, a temporary off day for a, for a backup outfielder uh, and run a platoon there with a lefty and righty. Now, the platoon seems to make sense. I don't know, this is curious. It, does it make sense for outfield most of all if you're going to run a platoon? Because there are, um, you could do more mixing and matching maybe, and also... Uh, maybe the if you, especially if you have a corner outfield spot, maybe the um, the uh, defensive demands are not as high, and also just like a lot of outfielders, and just all you have to do is find a right-handed one. Yeah, it, it's definitely easiest to platoon at outfield and first base, basically because of the throwing requirements. So at second base, third base, shortstop, you have to throw right-handed. There's no left-handed throwers who play those positions, uh, so that really kind of limits if you have right-handed throwers only. Uh, to find a left-handed hitter at those positions is pretty difficult. There are some, uh, but they're not, there's not a lot of bats left, throws right kind of guys. Uh, so it's much more difficult to run a platoon at second, third, or short. 
than it is to run it in the outfield or at first base where you can have a left-handed thrower, uh, lefty, lefty, you know, guys who hit and throw both sides, much more prevalent. So it's much easier to find uh, a left-handed hitter at those positions. And so now with more prevalent lefties, it's much easier to run a platoon. Running a platoon at the other positions is just trickier because there's so few left-handed hitters. Uh, and, you know, the ones that are uh, pretty good, you know, often you don't want to platoon them. Right. Uh, no, with the with regard to to left-hand throws, I was actually um, Matt Denowitz. You might recognize that name. Uh, Matt Denowitz um, is uh, um, let's see. He is a he works for Pitchfork Music, right? Oh yes. Well, how would I not be familiar? Well, he's with a friend Pitch- of Fangraphs. He's uh, he he he, co- um, he does work on uh, on beer graphs with Eno Eno Sarah, right. whom you know. Also, yeah. I'm also known as a huge beer aficionado. Yeah, okay. so beer, beer and music. Right. You've typecast me very well. Maybe not right out of your respective values, but he was just in Paris because the Pitchfork Music Festival was just held here, and uh, we got together. And um, in any case, we were. Tr- I was trying to remember. We were both trying to remember and couldn't. The last time a left-handed thrower appeared in the infield, that, uh, you know, not for space. And I was wondering if you had any insight to that. Uh, I know that it's happened. I have a vague memory of maybe like Thermal Sledge, who was a non-prospect steroid user ten years ago at the Padres. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they might have stuck him at second base for a couple of innings, but that's just off the top of my head. I don't know if that actually happened. Uh, I don't know that I've ever actually seen a left-handed thrower playing second, third, or short in the major leagues. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, no, I mean to have to spin on every play it would be pretty awkward. Yeah, it would be awkward. Would be awkward. Okay. Um. Yeah. So that's so that's the so I guess yeah he's just part of their their uh, rotation now and I assume that uh, well I they probably plan on giving him enough at bats so he can he can earn his money which uh, is something he's done recently he's earned his money. Yeah. I mean I think you know they looked at DeJesus and said you know uh, for five or six million dollars something like that most likely uh, they're not going to be able to do better than one and a half to two wins on the market. I mean you know depending on what you think of the market price of wins it's probably five to six million dollars per per war this year, they're definitely getting more than a one win player in Jesus. He's been, you know, close to a two win player uh more regularly over full seasons of bats. If you platoon him, uh you're not gonna get as many at bats, but you'll get a higher performance level. I think that they look at Jesus as probably a four hundred to five hundred plate appearance guy who's gonna give them, you know, probably one and a half to two war uh in that kind of you know, part time or semi full time role. Uh, and then, you know, the value of whatever right-handed platoon guy they can find gets uh, added on top of that, and all of a sudden they have an above-average outfield tandem, uh, you know, for uh, basically what gets you a fifth starter or a, a decent setup man now. Now, they also had – did they not have at one point uh, um, Brandon Geyer? He seemed like he was going to be a real player, and then he just disappeared. But but he appears to have played uh, much of the season and played decently for Durham. Does that, does that name even sound familiar to you? Yeah, I know Brandon Geyers. I'm not sure why you think he he's a real player. I mean, this seems like the classic Carson Sestouli overrates yeah, a guy yeah. who does well in AAA. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it's, it's I classic. mean, you know, I think he's yeah. he's the uh, you know maybe his upside is Justin Ruggiano, who had a half of a good season with the Marlins after the Rays got rid of him, but that's probably the best Geyer could hope for. Yeah, I think I looked at it. I was under the influence of of something. I probably yeah. looking back on it now. He steals bases. He hit a couple home runs. I don't know. He's maybe. not worthless, but he's not a guy you're like I I should. Acquire a good major league player because I have Brandon Geyer. Brandon Geyer, yeah. All right, well that's Brandon Geyer. Uh, let's see. So that's one thing that's happened is the Rays. The uh, you wrote a piece with regard to the uh, 
the Yankees signing Derek Jeter, right? Yeah. He signed for what, 112? Yeah, 12 million over next year, yeah. Over next year. And yeah. it, so there's a little bit, it was a little bit confusing for me. And maybe it was a little bit confusing for you. I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it turned out to be confusing in that almost everything I wrote may or may not be correct depending on who you talk to. Well, I'm talking to you right now. Well, let me hear. Why don't you tell me both sides of the story? It, it, it involves Derek Jeter and the luxury tax, right? Yeah. So ba- basically, the story goes that you know, if Jeter Jeter had a player option for 2014 that was worth uh, originally it was worth eight million, it's now being reported to be worth nine and a half million because of different incentives that kicked in. So he had a, a player option that uh, would have extended his three-year, fifty-one million dollar contract uh, that he signed back in 2010 that covered his last three seasons. Uh, if he had exercised that player option, then it would have been uh, interpreted by Major League Baseball as, as basically uh, a four-year deal. And so the annual average value of that contract would have been uh, what they used to calculate the luxury tax. And so because he made more money in the pri- prior three years, uh, his luxury tax hit would have been higher than the $9.5 million he was due to make. Uh my understanding of reading the CBA, and it could, it could be incorrect, but my understanding of reading it was that this is a new contract, and at $12 million, uh, it would just be the value of the contract that is, you know, applied to the luxury tax calculation, and, you know, the prior contract would have ended, uh, and not have it hold sway on the luxury tax calculation of the new contract. That's where some contention comes in. Apparently the union and the players association uh, or the, the, you know, the union is the players association. The union and the league were negotiating what the value of Jeter's deal would be. Uh, according to Ken Rosenthal, it's going to be around $13 million, a little higher than his actual salary. Um, and it seems like the, the bone of contention is that, uh, the original Jeter contract from three years ago, uh, if you value it at a certain price as a three-year deal and not as a four-year deal, then the Yankees were underpaying tax. Uh, and kind of skirted some of the tax bonuses by giving him a new one-year contract. So either they would have to go back and repay some back taxes that, uh, you know, didn't get covered in the fact that Jeter had a guaranteed money that he gave up, uh, or they would have to apply it to 2014. It's not exactly clear how this all worked out, but it seems like, uh, you know, Ken Rosenthal's reported that the Yankees' total savings and luxury tax calculations is going to be around a million, while Buster Olney and Joel Sherman are reporting that they're actually losing money. So no one actually has the final answer definitive from Major League Baseball. This isn't the kind of thing they release publicly, but it seems like at the end of the day it's not going to be a huge difference one way or the other. Right. It sounds like it's not going to be a huge difference. Yeah. And the right. So which, the... which makes the whole point of my article wrong. So <laughs> happy that we're discussing it on the podcast. So people can be pointed to my completely incorrect article. Uh, I was just trying to understand it. See, see what, what's the purpose of this, this, this uh, program is, Cameron, is that, uh, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll look at new, new situations, new developments. This is something about what you wrote though. And this, you know, you can't necessarily address every question in one piece. I understand that. And so we're probing and apparently you don't want to be probed in this particular area. You know, I think with free agency starting tomorrow and David Price on the trade block, there were so many other areas we could go that didn't result in my embarrassment. Yeah, but, well, uh, I was I, trying I to figure it out. As a, no, it's not a barrier. I mean, listen, yeah. who has more at stake? Think about it. Ken Rosenthal can't even get a – he can't even get the actual details of the report. Well, well I think Rosenthal has, certainly has what he's reporting, uh, but what he's reporting is different than what Buster Olney and Joel Sherman are reporting. And there's, you know, unless you work in the commissioner's office, there's no exact way to know 
which one of the reports is right. So we have conflicting reports. Uh, the important thing is none of them agree with what I wrote. Yeah, okay, that's very important. Uh, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, so today is uh, – we're doing this on Monday, and I believe uh, this is the last day for teams to extend qualifying offers, yes? This is, yes. The qualifying offers are due today. Now, just a sort of logistical question. This is not a th- Does a team announce we are not going to do this? But uh, is that what they say? Yeah, I mean, so Dave Dombrowski uh, in a radio interview yesterday basically said that he's not going to extend the qualifying offer to any of their free agents, which includes Johnny Peralta, Omar Infante, Joaquin Benoit. Uh, he's basically said, you know, we're we're not going to make the offer. Uh, it wasn't like paperwork that he filed to Major League Baseball, but he just announced it publicly. Um, but essentially, it's a you know an act of omission. If you don't file the paperwork that says we're offering you a qualifying offer, right. then it comes out in the media that you didn't do that. Right, right, right. Uh, have there been any surprising decisions so far as that's concerned? Uh, players who uh, we maybe thought were going to receive qualifying offer and hadn't, uh, or vice versa. Uh, well, I think the ones on the bubble haven't been announced yet. So, like, there's a suggestion or there was a report over the weekend that the Yankees hadn't decided for sure that they were going to give one to Curtis Granderson, which seems a little strange because it's hard to look at Curtis Granderson getting less than $14 million on the free agent market given the dearth of power-hitting left-handed outfielders uh, and, you know, kind of his value over the years. I mean, obviously, he was hurt for a large portion of the season not coming off a fantastic year, but I think a lot of teams would like to have Curtis Granderson at 114. Uh, even if the Yankees didn't want him back at 114, they could, you know, give him the qualifying offer. Uh, and then if he took it, you know, fine, you have a decent player for next year. And if you want to trade him in July, you can. You know, I think, like, to have Curtis Granderson around on a one-year deal makes some sense. Uh, but I, th- I think in the end they're going to make the offer. I, I think it would be um, a little silly for the Yankees to not make Granderson the qualifying offer. Uh, maybe the others, I wouldn't even call it controversial, but uh, newsy reported one is that Jared Saltalamacchia will not get one from the Red Sox. Uh, they are going to make one to their other three free agents, which is uh, Mike Napoli, Stephen Drew, and Jacoby Ellsbury. Uh, my guess is that the qualifying offer will lead to both Napoli and Drew returning to Boston for next year. Uh, but the fact that the Red Sox aren't giving one to Saltalamacchia, to me, is a giant tell that they want Brian McCann. I think, uh, you know, Salty is coming off a pretty good season. He's a nice you know, fit as a platoon guy with David Ross and that he can't hit lefties and, and hits righties pretty well. Uh, you know, he obviously knows their pitching staff pretty well. He's not that old. Uh, you know, to have Salty back at 114 wouldn't be that big a deal, uh, unless they really wanted to allocate a large percentage of their offseason resources to going after McCann, in which case having Salty Lamaki accept the qualifying offer would screw up their entire plan. And, uh, do we think that Salty Lamaki will get a deal? I mean, the, let's see, the, uh... The crowd says four four forty, I think. Yeah, four. Yeah, right. So four eleven. It seems as though if you say to a guy, "Well, we'll give you one fourteen, or you could take four forty or four forty four or something like that," he'll probably take the latter. Yeah, but I think you have to be careful when looking at those crowdsourced uh, projections and wondering whether the crowd was assuming that they would not get the qualifying offer. So. I think Salty doesn't get 440 with the qualifying offer. I think that he's going to be one of these players who, with a, a draft pick compensation attached, is going to see his price knocked down. He's probably going to get a two- or three-year deal instead of a four-year deal. I don't see teams committing uh, big money to a guy who's going to give up a first-round pick and isn't necessarily an impact player. Salty Lamarckie is a good role player, but he's not an impact guy where you really want to punt your first-round pick in order to get him and you know sign him to a long-term deal. So I think in order to get... 
uh, you know, past draft pick compensation, uh, he would have required less money. Now that he's not going to have draft pick compensation attached, he'll probably do, you know, 440, maybe even 450. I mean, I think that he's going to be an attractive player now that he doesn't come with a draft pick. So this is certainly good news for Jared Saltalamacchia. And is it, uh, if, if we do suppose that the Red Sox are going to pursue Brian McCann seriously, um, I mean, is there reason to believe that he's a good fit after this season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at McCann's historic uh, performance, very, very good. Uh, you know, he's obviously a good power hitter or uh, catcher. I mean, he's a good power hitter, period. But there aren't that many good left-handed power hitting catchers. McCann's also kind of known for his defense. Comes out really well in all the framing metrics. Uh, has handled the brave pitching staff, you know, who, you know, consistently been developing young pitchers. Uh, you know, he has good stolen base, uh, you know, success rates at, at throwing out runners. I think there isn't really a, besides health, there isn't really a big knock on McCann. Uh, and I think the expectation is that, you know, he will sign with an American League team so that he could, um, you know, spend some time at first base or designating the hitter in a couple of years, kind of like the Victor Martinez career path. Uh, except McCann's always been a much better defensive catcher than, than Martinez was, uh, and could probably stick at catcher, you know, probably for two or three, maybe even four more years, uh, before he has to move to first base or DH, and by that time, uh, David Ortiz is probably, uh, you know, abandoned the, abandoned the position and, and, uh, the Red Sox would have a spot for him. Yeah, the, um, uh, David Ortiz isn't gonna be around that long. I mean, well, he? I mean, he's, he's still pretty good, right? Like, he's not exactly showing any signs of decline. Yeah, what, yeah, how did that happen? Cause, uh, remember like a couple of years ago, it seemed like he was done. Yeah, that was an overreaction to a bad month. I think it was like 2009 or something, he struck out 50% of the time in April and everyone wrote him off as a guy with a slow bat who had just lost his ability and then he just mashed for the rest of the year. Uh, and people were like, yeah, that was a stupid thing to write after a month. Uh, I don't think there's ever been a full season where it looked like David Ortiz was done. He's had some stretches where he looked like he was getting slower, but then he always bounced back and was awesome after that. Uh, you know, I think in how it's happened, I mean, you know, a lot of people will probably assert that there's some chemical assistance going on there, but, you know, uh, who knows, right? Like, Ortiz is one of these guys who has fantastic plate discipline, uh, hits, hits for a lot of power, pitchers are going to pitch around him. This, that kind of skill set, uh, ages pretty well, generally. Yeah. Well, he was, uh, I don't know if you remember the World Series. He was pretty good in that. Yeah, I've heard that he was okay. Okay, so, um, so the, the deadline for qualifying offers is what? It's like 5 p.m., maybe midnight, something like that? Yeah, you, I think Major League Baseball has done a pretty good job of moving their deadlines into the middle of the day. They all used to be at midnight, which was annoying for writers. Uh, and now they've generally put them in the middle of the day. So I think we'll probably find out today. Uh, you know, or at least by this evening, all the qualifying offer players. Okay, great. And then, uh, is it uh, when you start signing free agents, like the minute after that, or is it tomorrow? Well, I mean, I think you know, teams can theoretically start negotiating with free agents uh, at 12:01 a.m. Uh, and so, like, you know, that's still a midnight deadline. But the reality is, uh, teams have been able to call the agents for these players beforehand and no one really starts talking money right away anyway so uh you know like the, all the teams interested in jacoby ellsbury have already called scott boris and said hey we're interested in jacoby ellsbury uh so maybe a team at 1201 is going to send over an offer for 120 million dollars just to get the ball rolling and like to show that they're really interested but most likely boris is going to drag this out he doesn't sign players quickly uh very few free agents sign early in free agency unless they're re-signing with their original team they didn't want to go to free agency anyway for the most part this stuff takes a while, and we're about a month away from the winter meetings. 
usually there's a couple free agents who will sign before the winter meetings, but the, a lot of the big dominoes wait until they get to December and, and get to the, you know, have the big national press conference at, at the winter meetings and the player flies in and uh, everyone gets to do the pomp and circumstance thing. So, you know, with Cano and Ellsbury, I expect these things to drag out for a while. I don't think you're going to see either of those guys sign this week. You, um, you're going to be at those winter meetings? I am going to be at those winter meetings where I'm looking for hotel uh, options uh, last night and finding that, uh, you know, there's a lot of interesting hotel shenanigans going on in Orlando. I tweeted about this, but uh, there was one hotel I was looking at that was uh, offering uh, a $145 per night price uh, or $181 per night with free parking, which means they're charging you $36 a night for parking. Hmm. But they just call it free parking with a higher price. But if you pay the lower price, would you get free parking? No, they they charge you for parking. So they just basically have a parking inclusive uh, option and then call it free. Oh yeah. Right. So you're prepaying for parking essentially, but they call it free parking if you pay more. So it's not free, is what your point is? Yeah, I mean, I think like my bank charges me like a you know they're not. I have a free mortgage as long as I send them checks every month. I think that's how that works. Right, but other than other than. Other than the mortgage part, it's free. Right, exactly. As long as I'm, you know, paying them a, a, you know, a service fee or whatever they want to call it, then it comes with a free mortgage, which is a pretty good deal, right? I don't know. I, I just thought, like, the marketing people who, I don't know, maybe it works. Maybe there are people out there who are not smart enough to notice that the only difference in uh, the package is the fact that, the you know, there's a $36 difference and you get free parking. Uh, maybe people don't actually understand that they're paying $36 for parking. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, silly people. Uh, uh we're sort of at an in, in-between point right now, so I'm not going to keep you around much longer, Cameron, uh, in terms of the baseball schedule, I mean. But I did actually want to ask you, I was thinking about this the other day, curious your thoughts on it. When does, in your estimation, if we say, if we say that there is a 2013 baseball season that lasts a year, right, and that there's also a 2014 baseball season that lasts a, a full calendar year, when does when did the 2014 season begin, or has it has it begun yet? The 2014 season began on Friday. Uh, I think you, generally what we look at is major league teams have fiscal years that last from uh, October to October, and then a new fiscal year starts in November. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, team personnel contracts are structured that way, where they work through November. Uh, and so I think you know generally major league baseball operates on a October to October calendar. Um, the end of the World Series is the end of the prior season, and everything that happens after that is part of the new season. So I would say that we're we're three days into the 2014 season at this point. Do you celebrate um, Do you celebrate the New Year's uh, for um, Do you celebrate New Year's for the baseball season like you might the actual New Year's Day? By going to bed early. Oh yeah. No, I, I think I think New Year's Day, New Year's Eve is maybe the dumbest holiday in the history of holidays, and I I just well, it's I, an excuse for partying, and so you right. know, I know you don't care for yes. that anyway. For now, wait a second. Don't party, then, you know. What is the Valentine's Day of the baseball season? Is there a rough equivalent there? Probably the All Star break when all the players go home and have sex with their wives. Oh God! Wow. <laughs> this is we've gotten to that point. It sounds like. Well, I mean, you're the one who brought Valentine's Day. Yeah, I, I, that's that's not what I do on Valentine's Day. Sorry, sorry about that, Carson. <laughs> yeah, that's, no. My wife said it's when you uh, both go to your separate rooms and have quiet time. <laughs> well, that sounds awesome. Yeah, I will yeah. note, like you know, maybe you haven't uh, caught on to this before, but uh, there will be, often be a rash of major league players in spring training leaving to go 
uh, be with their families to uh, welcome the new birth of their child. And spring training happens to be nine months after the All-Star break. You do the math. Yeah. Well, uh, first I'm going to have to learn to do math. But right after right. that, that's going to be the first problem I do. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, you're done, Dave Cameron. You did it. Uh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, uh, that's Dave Cameron. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Sestouli. This has been Fangraphs Audio. 